No matter who you are or where you're from, we have a place for you. To the hurting and the hopeless, to those with questions and doubts, to those looking for a place to belong and grow, we have a place for you. Our mission at the table is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And we recognize that we are called to be courageous. We courageously talk about hard things as we are challenged to live for Christ in a complicated world. We courageously build bridges as we love and serve our neighbors well. We courageously challenge one another to follow Jesus and we share the hope that we have with those around us. We invite you to have a seat at the table. Come find hope and healing. Come find answers and purpose. Come find a place to belong. Come be courageous. Father, I just thank you for the reminder this morning as we sing that you are so good. You are so faithful and, and the goodness that we see that just in the baptism this morning of, of watching this young man grow into not only just a man of God, but a leader of men that will lead, raise up young boys to love and, and know you, Lord. You are so good in that. You give us these moments that we get to reflect, like help us not miss these moments of your goodness through people's generosity that, that these kids, they know the Lord like Wayne talked about. Would help that not fall lightly on us this morning. May we continue to celebrate your goodness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much for being here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Melissa Forgey. I serve as the executive pastor here. Our lead pastor, Bill Stewart, is on his summer break, which I saw a picture of him. He was in a sweatshirt, so he's obviously not in Texas. Um, but he's going to spend some time away on a much-needed break um, with his family. He'll be back for a few weeks. And if you are back in a few weeks. Um, if you are new with us, um, joining us in person for the first time, or maybe joining us online for the first time, we would love to connect with you. Uh, it's really simple. You can text WELCOME to 817-755-1668, and that will get you to a staff person, and we will help just help you as you journey through, um, you know, joining and being a part of what uh, God's doing here at the table. And so today... Um, I am excited to continue with you our series called Coming Up for Air. And this is actually a continuation of last week's conversation in Luke 12. And Jesus was boldly teaching his disciples um, through the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. And he was talking about how uh, giving warnings about placing security uh, and faith in kind of fleeting things and riches and treasures, um, and that doing that gives us a false sense of security that can create worry and anxiety um, in our lives. And he called us to be rich towards God, and, and to remind you to be rich towards God means to treasure the things that he treasures, our relationship with him, our relationship with other people, our heart and posture towards people who are hurting and vulnerable and marginalized and far from him. So we are continuing that conversation, and, and Jesus is continuing to teach the disciples what comes when we place our faith in other things than him. And that can stir up worry and anxiety. And this is a very challenging topic to 
talk about um, and still beat Baptist to lunch. It's a joke. So, like, you know, so it's, it's a hard topic to talk about in a short amount of time. And um, there are so many aspects and facets of anxiety that so many of us experience. And unfortunately, church culture kind of as a whole has only approached this for a long time as a faith issue. So like it's a, a lack of faith. Um, so just believe more um, and you'll be fine. And we, we just don't see that. We see, this is a tender, sensitive, complex issue. Um, and... So I wanted to kind of just start with a few things today before we dig in. Is one, I am glad you're here. If you um, have struggled or are struggling with anxiety, you love someone who struggles with anxiety, I am glad you're here. And I have been praying specifically for you um, to just be comforted by the Holy Spirit and, and have peace um, today. And, and I am going to ask you for grace today. Um, and I hope that my posture and my words are laced with grace. Um, I am not a medical professional. I will not claim to be one. Um, I don't have, you know, credentials or anything in that area. So please bring the bar way down here. Um, but I, I, in fact, struggle greatly with anxiety and have on and off uh, my whole life. And so talking about it. I feel quite anxious, actually, right now. So um, I, just, I just ask for grace. Um, I'm not speaking from a place of authority at all. I'm speaking from a place of, of trying to be obedient and, and extend the mercy that has been extended to me. Um, we as a church believe that mental illness is real, um, that it needs to be approached in a holistic way. Um, there's not one, uh, you know, fix-all approach or cure. Uh, we don't believe that. It's, it's physical. It's, it's hormonal. It's emotional. It's uh, social. It's financial. There's trauma. There's spiritual issues at play um, that cause and reasons for anxiety. And today we're going to look at one small facet of that holistic approach, and that's the spiritual side of it. And we have biblical counselors here. We have resources for you. So if, if you are needing support, please, please, please do not leave here without finding me. Because we can point you in the direction. You can also find it on our website. Um, we have support and resources for you. And with that said, you know, with, with holistic, the holistic approach, we believe that therapy and medical professionals and medicine can be a gift from God for those who are suffering. Um, I am someone who deeply loves the Lord, and I also made sure I took my anti-anxiety medication this morning. And I regularly seek counseling and mentorship in my life. Um, I am truly thankful that I have access to those resources um, that will help me fight anxiety in my life. And again, we're, we're focusing on the spiritual aspect of anxiety, but I think there's something that... I want to say, and I kind of debated saying it, but I'm, I'm going to say it. But I, I believe anxiety is a tool of the enemy to keep us in bondage. I do believe that. I, I, when you look at the word worry, some of the translations mean to strangle. Doesn't worry and anxiety just strangle us? Makes it hard to breathe. And, and Satan wants us to believe lies. He wants us to, he wants to use our insecurities our pain, our trauma, to turn us away from God's truth. And don't think for a minute that Satan is not trying to take you out because he is. 
And I have had to come to that realization. I've had to recognize that there's an evil force working to take me out, to turn me away from what God has called me into. And it's a real thing. And we're continually warned in Scripture about this. And I'm not a, like, under every rock, around every corner person the devil is hiding. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that I've finally recognized that my struggle with anxiety is a spiritual one, too. And that Satan is real, and he's attacking, and it's changed my posture in this fight. With that said, I just, I want to take a second and just pray. Actually, I want to take a second and breathe, if that's okay. So I'm going to take a second and breathe. Um, I was gonna, I'm going to tell you that because then if the pastor doesn't start talking and then like, you're like peeking like what's going on, is she okay? You know, so that's what I'm telling you. I'm going to take a second um, and breathe and pray. So will you guys join me, please? Lord, I just, I just come before you just humbled, um, Lord, that you are um, so present in our lives, Father, that you care so deeply about us. Father, just help that be a comfort to us this morning. Help us re-recognize your presence and your place in our life. Lord, we love you. It is in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke 12. Uh, we're going to start in 20, verse 22. So if you have your Bible, you can flip there. If you follow us on the Bible app, you can find the live event, or it'll be on the screen behind you. And so, um, again, this is a continuation of the teaching that Jesus is doing. Now, he's teaching to his disciples, but there is a crowd of people all around him, clamoring, trampling each other to hear him. And he's addressing the pursuit of greed. And that focusing solely on treasures and riches in our life for our benefit and finding our purpose there is not being rich towards God. And isn't it interesting, in a conversation about anxiety, he ties anxiety and money together. Interesting. So let's read, 22 through 34. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or about the body or what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat or what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all of these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An exhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. From where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think what we're seeing here is... Um, Part, Jesus is telling us what anxiety can do. And there's, and there's a couple things I want us to look at here. Number one, anxiety makes me think too little of God. Anxiety is our, natural, is our response to stressors. 
And many of us think it's just an emotion that comes naturally from like the uncertainty of life and you know, not knowing what's coming. But Jesus is telling us here that it is intimately connected to our deepest desires, insecurities, and pains. We tend to worry most about what we are devoted to most or impacted, to by, or impacted by. And we see Jesus leading out in this conversation, tying money and anxiety together because he knew we would be devoted to it the most and obsessed with it. We see in verse 22 the word therefore. Whenever you see therefore in scripture, look up at the scripture coming before it. And we go back to last week, verse 21. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Rich towards God means I treasure the things that he treasures. My relationship with him, my relationship with other people, my posture towards the hurting, the vulnerable, the marginalized. And money isn't the most important thing in our life when we're rich towards God. And and believing that God cares about our provision, taking care of us. Consider the ravens. If you've ever seen one, they're not pretty. Okay? And he feeds them. He still cares for them. The wildflowers. And they're given splendor because God cares for them. And, And wouldn't he do that for something he made in his own image? Now, this doesn't mean we get to sit back and do nothing. He's just going to make deposits in our pantry and our bank accounts. It's just saying that we, what we do, we do in obedience to him, and we are trusting him with the results. That's what he's saying here. Anxiety elevates the obtaining of things, the controlling of my stuff, as the most essential thing in our life is to control and to have. And it lies to us that the good life is not what God will provide us. It lies to us, anxiety lies to us, that we're missing out and God is not enough. The good life is walking with God. The lie tells tells us, the anxiety tells us that God doesn't care. He doesn't care about you. And he does, he cares about the smallest detail. And anxiety makes us believe that we are insignificant. And he's telling us right here that, The exact opposite. We have to replace that lie with truth. The second thing that anxiety makes us do, it it causes me to forget how much God thinks of me. After he tells his disciples how how well God cares for the birds, says, are you not worth more than they? Verse 32 said, do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. How much, how desperately did God want to give us the kingdom of heaven? He sent Jesus to die on a cross on our behalf so we will experience the kingdom. And we, and we kind of make God, anxiety, my anxiety makes me feel like, well, yeah, God can get me to heaven, but he can't handle me here. I mean, I'm kind of a hot mess. I mean, yeah, he can save me, but that doesn't mean he cares about what my day looks like. We forget how much God loves us. We forget in our anxiety and our desire to control and our worry and feeling strangled how much God loved us so much. He sent his son to die for us so I may experience heaven. That's how much he thinks of me. The third thing that anxiety is, is it's a liar. And it is a tool of the enemy 
It presents false dangers, false solutions, makes false promises. It promises that if you devote time to worrying about it, it'll change things. Has worrying changed anything? Anybody? Okay. No. Thank you for answering. No. I mean, I can think of all the things, right? I can think of everything. Like, I can solve all of the problems in the world, and I can worry about everybody's problems and all my problems and worry, 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 and I can't do anything about it. Worrying doesn't actually change anything. Look, verse 25. It says it doesn't actually add anything. It, it statistically, or it, it can actually take away hours of our life. It can shorten our lifespan. I read a statistic. 75% of all doctor's visits are stress and anxiety related. 75%. It creates a false danger. It creates false predictions. This is how I envision, this is what anxiety does to me. You know the scary music in the movie where you know something's about to happen? That's in my brain all the time. Something bad's about to happen. And I'm like always ready for it. That's what it is. And we literally can go to the worst case scenario. And we can talk ourselves out of all the, of life. Because we can come up with all of the reasons and all of the things that are going to happen. Why we shouldn't do what we're going to do. Because something might happen. Here are all the reasons. Anxiety lies to me. It makes me believe that the hurtful things people have said about me. The hurtful things people have said to me. My, my shame define me. That's what anxiety does. It makes me think that I am my lowest point. That sin and shame define me. And anxiety, anxiety has become, is something that I have struggled with on and off my whole life. Um, sometimes it's better, and in this season, it's just been really bad. And honestly, I have felt very defeated kind of just resign myself like, okay, this is it. This is me. Like, I'm anxious. I have anxiety. That's kind of where I've been. And this summer, my kids have just been living like their best lives. They've been going on trips and camps and doing all the fun things, having a great time being gone. And I've had so much anxiety. And now hear me. I love when they're gone. It's kind of nice. But I also hate when they're gone. And I know that, I know I feel this way because I have, I have trauma in my past where being away from my home was traumatic for me. Scary things happen, bad things happen. So when my kids aren't there, like I am in a spiral. I was laying in bed the other night and I was just sobbing. Like I couldn't breathe. And I just kept thinking about all the horrible things that could happen to my kids I can't protect them. I can't care for them. Like, everything dangerous could happen to them. I can't make them brush their teeth. So here I am, freaking out. Like, bear attacks, killer hornets, and plaque are, like, ravaging my brain, and I am freaking out. And I just get up, and I have this bag. I didn't bring it with me today, but in my bag, I call it my go bag. And it has my Bible and my journal, and it has these spiral-bound note cards that I have been writing Scripture on. And I grab that bag, and I go out, and we have a pool in our backyard. And I am walking around this pool, and I am crying out to God. And I am just like, take this from me. Take this from me. And I am crying and sobbing and crying out to God. And I start flipping through my note cards, y'all. And this is so crazy. I live in the country country where there is, is like pitch black. There's no light. But on this night, 3 o'clock in the morning, it was as bright, the moon was as bright as a stage. And I flipped to this card, 
And this is what it said. He does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And I, y'all, something clicked over, and I got mad. I wasn't mad at God. I was mad at the enemy. I was mad at my anxiety. And I was like, you know what? I am not going to let this take me down. I'm going to fight this. And I may struggle, but I'm going to fight. And I can't change my DNA. I cannot change things that have happened to me. I am working on the hormones. Like, I, you know, like there's things I cannot change. But I can change the way that I view anxiety. And I know, I know I may never be cured of it on this side of heaven. But I will continue to believe that God can. And that I will continue to believe that he will do something through this. And I can choose to not take my eyes off of him or my eyes off of heaven. And so I'm a coach by nature. And, you know, I used to be a coach. And, and so I'm like, okay, I got to get a game plan. Like, I'm mad now. Got to get a game plan. And so this is not like, this is my strategy for my experiences. And I want to share with you because I think God's word is showing us something here. And so this is how I think God's showing us how to fight. Fight anxiety. Fight this. Number one is his word. I, go, I went to a counselor for a long time. wasn't a Christian counselor, just regular counselor, and, you know, working through some things. And, and she was encouraging me to replace my negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Now, she told me, or she gave me a book to read, and I've passed it on to most people. Jenny Allen wrote this book. And in the book, Jenny did research, and she said that we have up to 60,000 thoughts a day. I mean, my husband was like, you have 60,000 thoughts a day. I do not have 60,000 thoughts a day. But like 60,000 thoughts. And 75% of those thoughts are negative. And this is a crazy one. 95% of that 75 are repetitive negative thoughts from the previous day. So we are conditioning my, I'm conditioning my brain to for negative things, which is fueling my anxiety. And she's saying, you, you can retrain your brain. And so she gives me these affirmations to say to myself, you know, like, I'm awesome, and I'm great, and I'm powerful, and I'm enough, and all this stuff. And I felt like, I'm going to date myself, but you remember this SNL skit where he's like, and by golly, Stuart, people like you, or whatever, you know, like, that's what I felt like. And I was like, okay, I don't feel like awesome, and I don't feel enough. So here I am, fueled with anxiety. I'm trying to retrain my, neg my negative brain into a positive brain, and I'm lying to myself in these affirmations. And I'm like, I was reading Jenny's book, and I was like a light bulb went off. Like, God knew this was going to happen to us. It is all over Scripture, he warns us about our minds being taken over. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Not only am I transformed, not only am I a different person, not only am I changed, now I have the wisdom and awareness to know the way of God. That's what it does. 2 Corinthians 10, 6 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, affirmations, hear me, are not a bad thing. I want us to speak gently to ourselves. 
and kindly like we would a friend. I have a teenager, and sometimes her friends will talk badly about themselves, and I always say, don't talk about my friend like that, to remind them to speak gently. And I, I think that's important. But it keep, those affirmations she gave me were keeping the focus on me. It was me. And my anxiety is like, me, 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 right? All the things that are going to happen to me, all the things I can control, all the things I can't control, just let me do it. I'll fix it. I'm the right way. I mean, it's like literally all about me. And so those affirmations were about me. <laughs> and what scripture does is it reminds me to take my eyes off of myself and who is good. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. I am made on purpose. I am wanted on this earth. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created, the, he created them male and female. God's word gives me truth when my own lie to me. And it makes me focus on the one who is good and who is enough and who redeems me and loves me and is gentle toward me. And as I learn that, I'm able to be gentle and extend grace to myself. God's word is a gift and a tool sharper than any two-edged sword to fight, to fight. And, and by replacing my anxious thoughts with, with real truth, with truth, I can actually retrain my brain. That's what science is telling us, that, that our brains can be retrained to think differently about ourselves, and Scripture gives us a tool to do that. God's Word helps us fight. Second thing is God's mission. Look at verse 30, 31. Seek his kingdom, and these will be provided for you. Be rich towards him. Treasure the things that he treasures. So many of us struggle with purpose. So many of us don't understand what our purpose is in our lives. You know, maybe, maybe the job isn't the purpose. I'm purposeless. And there's shame around that we're not having a poor, we don't have an important enough job. I don't do enough. I'm not making enough money. Or it's not the job my mom wanted me to have or whatever it is. We focus so much on what we're doing it gets our priorities all messed up. And, and like I see this with stay-at-home moms, like, you know, oh, I don't do anything. Have you been a stay-at-home mom? Like, that's work. If you haven't, come hang out with my kids for a couple days. You'll recognize. I mean, that, that's work. But we think, oh, it's not enough. And so many times we feel, we feel helpless because we're basing our security and our purpose around what we do, our work, and here's one of the most important things that I have learned as I've been journeying through this. No matter how insecure I feel or helpless I feel or unsure I feel or like purposeless I feel, I can find assurance in the mission of God that he has a purpose for me. And it doesn't matter what I do. Stay home, work, nine to five, stay, whatever it is, work from home. If I have the best job or I have the best job for right now, God's purpose is still in play there. See, my purpose, my purpose is God's purpose in my life my job, my work, what I do is my opportunity to do it. It's not the other way around. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I still have a purpose in God's mission. I still have a purpose here. And it's no matter what the opportunity is. Scripture, I'm called to be a disciple maker. You are called to be a disciple maker, to build relationships with people and lead them to Christ. We had a whole room of students in here earlier, and I will tell the students that are in here, your job when you go to school in a few weeks is to make disciples. 
is to make disciples, to make the name of Jesus known in your schools, in your workplaces, and bring people to Christ. That's our job. We do it through school. We do it through sports. We do it through work, through teaching, through motherhood, through fatherhood. Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission. I have a gift. Some of us feel purposeless because we don't think we're good at anything. Listen, I'm not good at buttons, okay? Like, I'm not good at, like, technical things, okay? My phone doesn't have, like, a home button now. I don't know what to do with it. I'm frustrated. Like, I don't know how to close anything. Like, okay, so I, that is not my gift. And I often say, like, I don't have a gift. I'm not good. Not good. I'm not crafty. I'm not a singer. I'm like, I don't have talent. And my brain lies to me, like, I'm not good at anything. What am I going to do? I don't have a purpose here. That's a lie. I have a gift, something given to me by God on, for his purpose. 1 Corinthians 7 says, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this, another person has that. Your gift may be different than my gift. And you know what anxiety makes us do? Compare them. Right? Well, she's better at this than I am, or he's better at this than I am, or he's more successful or whatever. So we begin to compare, and anxiety begins to break that down. But it says in Romans 12, 6, that according to the grace given to us, we each have different gifts that are equally important to the mission of God. So just because mine looks different than yours does not mean yours is more important than mine. They're equal to the mission. We've all been given a gift at the moment of salvation. If you don't know what your gift is, then start talking to people. Start getting involved. Figure it out. You have been given a gift. It may not look like someone else's gift. And sometimes we think our gifts aren't important because they're small. Small. The greatest gift that I've seen is a gift of hospitality. It's people that just like, are just like warm and loving. And you can just talk to them. And like, you feel like you can go to your house, you can like put a blanket up and put your feet on their coffee table. There's just a gift in that. And we don't think that's important. That is a gift of the Spirit. We have a gift. And you know what? Another lie we say is nothing I do is good enough. Nothing I do is good enough. That's a lie. Uh, first, uh, uh, Ephesians 2.10. I've been created to do good things in Jesus' name. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. I have a purpose no matter what I'm doing. You have a purpose no matter what you are doing. You are not worthless. You are not helpless. You are not adrift. You have been set out at the moment of salvation on purpose, for purpose, for God's mission to bring people to him. And this purpose, this mission helps me see the way forward when my anxiety stirs up doubt and uncertainty about what I'm supposed to be doing and, and blinding me to my calling. I don't know what my calling is. I do know what my mission is, though. And that helps me lift my eyes. And with confidence, I'm able to do the next right thing that honors God because I know the mission. And that next right step honors God and brings him glory because I'm on mission. And again, I recognize I'm a part of something bigger than myself. It gets my eyes off of me and gets my eyes up on other people, on other things. So I can go fulfill the mission that God has sent us all out on. And that's to make disciples and make his name great. The third way we fight anxiety, and I believe this, is God's people. See, the language here in verse 32 says little flock. He uses the imagery of sheep here. I don't know if you got, like, sheep aren't, like, super vicious, right? Like, 
fluffy white chew grass. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, oh, they're, they can protect themselves. But he's talking about our vulnerability there. And do you know when a sheep is most vulnerable? When it's separated from the shepherd and the flock. That's when it's most vulnerable. Anxiety makes me believe that I'm better off alone. Anxiety makes me believe that I'm a hot mess and I'm a burden. They're not going to want to deal with me anyways. That I'm unlovable or, uh, you know, and again, it, like I'm going to be rejected by them. So I just immediately isolate because it's too scary. And I enter my interactions with people with a total deficit mindset. Like they're not going to like me anyways. And they don't want me to be here. And you know, here's the reality. People walk into a situation and you're feeling awkward and you're unsure if they want you to be here. They feel the same way. So you're just sitting there being awkward together, having the same feelings, missing out on relationships with obviously someone who's just like you. Vulnerability is scary. Brene Brown says vulnerability is at the core of every meaningful relationships. Every meaningful relationship. Our anxiety tells us that if we are vulnerable with people and actually let them know who we are and what we're like, that they won't like us. Or that they're going to say something that's mean or insensitive or minimizing our pain or awkward or they're going to act weird or they're going to act fake or whatever. And my answer and my response to all of those pushbacks is, you're right. They are probably going to do that. Do you know how I know? Because I do that. And honestly, y'all do that. (laughs) And if you don't think you do, ask somebody who's your friend. They might tell you. But every valuable relationship I've ever had, I had to fight for it. I have to fight for my marriage with Matt. I have to fight for it. Every day, I have to be vulnerable with him. I have to take risks. And guys, listen, people can be jerks. They can be inconsiderate. They can be flaky. They can be insensitive. They can be self-centered. Yes, they can. And so can you. So can I. But instead of letting the enemy use the anxiety to isolate me, I have to remember I have a choice that the Spirit of God lives in me, is present with me when I reach out to others who are just as screwed up as I am and who are just in desperate need of community and grace that I am. We see Jesus living in community throughout his entire ministry. Now listen, he did retreat and go be by himself because people are a lot. Okay, let's just be honest. Okay, it's a good model. But he did. He, he ate with them. He lived with them. He traveled with them. He shared life with them, religious theology discussions. He, he did that. He, he had time with people. Y'all, in the last few months, just through the pandemic, I mean, people are desperately alone and lonely. We have seen suicide rates, depression rates, anxiety rates, alcohol and drug consumption, pornography consumption shoot through the roof across every gender, race, socioeconomic level, every category, people are desperately lonely, desperately alone. And anxiety tells us we deserve it. And the enemy uses our shame and our fuel, our shame and our insecurity to fuel our anxiety, that we are not worthy of relationships. We saw in creation, God created Adam and said, man, that's not good. I can't leave you alone. Community, healthy community allows us to grow. Healthy community allows us to be cared for. Healthy community is soul-filling and mutual. 
but you have to fight for it. And I'm saying healthy community because some of us have some unhealthy community that lets us perpetuate sin or stays, stay in our anxiety and never say anything about it. If you are like visibly messed up and none of your friends are saying anything about it, you might need new friends. Because we don't hide it as well as we think we do, right? But, but healthy community, being in relationship with people, they don't get freaked out by your mess. You know what they do? They lean in. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? Let me show up. Let me help you with laundry. Let me bring you food. I'm going to take your kids. I'm going to lean in and help you. We feel isolated and uncared for. Community is where we get cared for. If you think that the church, the Bill or me, are going to be able to care for you, not as much as people who are in your life every day. That's how you're cared for. That's how you're loved. And also, it's a reminder. This is a reminder that God works through people on our behalf, and he works through you for other people. I said this in the beginning. Anxiety is a very complex issue. It has many, many facets. There is not a one-size-fits-all answer or cure. It isn't a pray harder, have more faith, drop more in the basket, <laughs> and it'll go away. There are a lot of contributing aspects to this issue, and we addressed just one. A couple weeks ago, I told her, I was like, I'm crying, crying. A couple weeks ago, I told our staff, I don't want to teach about this. I don't want to teach something that I'm going through and I feel unfinished with. And just like in their goodness, they reminded me like, maybe you can look at it like a good thing that puts you at the feet of Jesus. And I will tell you, there's nothing more that puts me at the feet of Jesus than when I feel scared or I feel anxious. Or I feel unsure. And I'm trying to find hope and gratitude in that. My anxiety makes me lead into God's word. I saturate myself in his truth. And of all that comes from this life, that I walk with anxiety every single day until the day that I die, I hope I can say, thank you for helping me know you better. but I will know that I will be cured of it. It just might not be on this side of heaven. And I believe that Jesus understands that. Jesus, fully man and fully human, came to this earth. In the moment, last moments of his life, he was sitting in a garden, crying out to God, knowing what was coming, that beatings were coming before he knew he would have to walk that walk to Calvary, carrying the, the, the method of his death on his back, before the nails would go through his bones, before the crown of thorns would be driven into his skull, before the spear would pierce his side, he knew this was coming, and he utters this agonizing prayer, Father, Father, please take this cup from me. And in the same breath, fully human, and fully God, he says, 
but not what I want, but what you want. Jesus knows the agony of suffering. And I can't tell you how many times when I read that story, I have yelled, God, take this from me. But I forget to say, but not my will, your will. And suffering is difficult and really hard to understand, and it doesn't make sense. But yet we even see Jesus, fully man and fully human, or fully human and fully God, struggling to grasp it. But through the suffering, we can find hope. It can lead us back to the God who made a way. The God who redeems you and loves you and is close to you. Who sees you as beautiful and perfect and purposeful. And we can understand it. And he gives us these tools of of his word to saturate our souls with it. His mission to keep our eyes up and off of ourselves and his people to love and care for us and remind us that we matter. And as I ask the band to come up, I just want I just want to pray for us. And give us a moment of reflection that you are not your anxiety, you are not defined by that. We are here to walk with you and help you. Please don't leave. If you are struggling, please do not leave without grabbing one of us and talking to us because we want to walk with you through it. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for drawing me near to you. Help me see a burden or struggle as something that draws me to you and not pulls me away. Help me recognize. Help me recognize your goodness even if I can't feel it in the moment. Help me still find it in your word, through your people, through your mission, Lord. And Father, more than anything, help us experience freedom freedom to see this world for all that you have for us and to see ourselves clearly. Lord, we love you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.